what you want, when you want it, where you want it. This is The Mesh. Entrepreneur Exchange on the Mesh Podcast Network, a monthly conversation about startups and small business with ideas, tools, and advice to operate your business more effectively. On today's show, do you know the difference between a software company and an enterprise solution company? I'm not sure that I do, but listen up. We're going to be joined by Brandon Lee, who has started a business called Teradata to assist colleges and universities with managing study abroad and international travel. He'll explain some of the differences and talk about his uh, startup journey. We'll also be sharing some of our small businesses of the month, where we'll be checking out some interesting businesses that you should know about. My name is Jeff Newville. I'm your co-host. I'm director of the Small Business Center at Catawba Valley Community College in Hickory, North Carolina. I'm joined by my co-host, Gary Muller, who is the dean of most activities at Catawba Valley Community College. Gary, how are you doing today? Jeff, I'm doing great. A lot of activities happening at the college. You're it's always, exciting that we are uh, fully uh, in person in my school, and then a great part of the college is uh, coming back to campus. So it no, feels I, really good to see cars and students on campus. But you're being safe. People have masks on. People Absolutely. are staying distance. Yeah, we're really uh, staying close to our safety protocols. Masks. Uh, we used to have temperature checks. We stopped that at the beginning of the semester. But knock wood, we're doing well. Well, very good, and we always like to check in. Now, just, just for our listeners to know, Gary went to Wake Forest. He's a very proud Demon Deacon. His college football team is undefeated in the top 7-0. 20, top 15, top 10. Number 13 Number in the country. Number 13 in the country. a lucky number for me, but we're excited. First time in 81 years. Well, we, we hope that we don't jinx you and that uh, continues good fortunes to the Wake Forest football team. Yes, we're very excited. But yes, I don't talk much about it because I don't want to jinx it. Okay. But thank you for saying that. Okay. Well, well, we have a guest with us today that we'd like to welcome. Uh, Brandon Lee is with us. Brandon, how are you doing? Doing great. Happy to be here. We're glad you're here. Brandon worked in management and sales at a number of companies, but uh, he decided to take an academic path and was getting a PhD in French lit at UNC Chapel Hill, my college. When he started a software company in 2001, the name of the company is Teradata. It serves the higher education market, and he and his partner started, I guess, as a consulting company and gravitated to a software solution with a global client base. Uh, Brandon retired as CEO in 2019, and he's uh, been part of the entrepreneur community in our area in uh, Western North Carolina. Uh, in addition to being chairman of the board of Teradata, he now owns uh, a local golf course, Players Ridge Golf Course. And also in his spare time, he's teaching at Lenore Ryan University. I would assume you were teaching business or entrepreneurship type classes, but Brandon shared with us earlier that he's teaching English classes. So uh, you're, you're a versatile yes. guy, Brandon. Yeah, you know, jack of all trades. That's <laughs> when you start a small business, you don't have you don't have the choice. You have to be able to do a little bit of everything. I am teaching the entrepreneurship capstone course next semester uh, at Lenore Ryan. So okay, I've taught in multiple departments. Well, I mean, you seem pretty versatile. If we needed a French professor, would you be able to handle that as well? I certainly would. Okay, I 
It's not in my school, but the entrepreneurship is. <laughs> no hablo no francés uh, no. for me. So uh, anyway, but it's good to know that we've got a resource if needed. But um, really appreciate you joining us today. Thanks for having me. Well, tell us a little bit about uh, Teradata, which is the company that you formed in 2001. You know, what, uh, tell us a little bit more about what it does and who your customers are. So I will say, uh, to go back to the consulting piece, we started, we wanted to, you know, we were getting our PhDs. All we had left to do was write that little dissertation. That's all my partner and I had left. We're like, we're going to take six months off because we'd been doing a lot of consulting at the university and building products at the UNC Chapel Hill. We're like, let's see what we can do in the larger world. So we opened up the company and, you know, we had very small ambitions at first. We were going to get rid of Blackboard, which was a huge company and as much much, much larger now. Uh, So we built a number of products, but one of the products that we'd created at UNC Chapel Hill was for the Office of Study Abroad. And they wanted to double the amount of students they were sending abroad without adding any staff. And the only way to do that, because it's such a heavy, you know, there's so much paperwork to fill out and tracking to do, was to have a technology solution. So while we were still, before we started the company, While we're still grad students, we built a product for them in about 18 months, uh, working pretty much full time that they use to manage their study abroad. So anyway, we start the company, Teradata, create a couple of products. We get a call one day from UNC Chapel Hill, and they're like, we're doing a presentation in San Antonio about the software, but we don't know what to say. Would you guys fly down and do it? And we're like, we have no money. They're like, no, no, we'll pay for you to go. Don't worry about it. We'll go. We're in. Uh, so we go down there and we didn't know what to expect. And we, we walk into the, uh, hall where we were going to present the software and there were 300 people in the hall from different study abroad offices all over the world. And we showed the software and there were a lot of mouths agape and this is so exciting. And then we get, you sort of walked into the right client base. We walked into the right Mm -hmm. client base. And then of course, some two people ask at the end, you know, how much does it cost and how long does it take? And I'm like, well. It'll, you know, you can get a good start for $200,000 and it'll probably take, you know, a couple of years to get anything. Everyone is really upset. And then uh, someone who's a very good friend of mine now, uh, John Tanzi from Dartmouth, came up afterwards and said, if you turn this into a product, I'll build it or I'll buy it. And I'm like, well, uh, sure you will, whatever. He calls the next week. He's like, I need you guys to fly up to Dartmouth. I need you to present what you do. So we flew up there and we walked away with, we're going to build this as a commercial product. And then it went crazy after that. Uh, You know, we started, you know, Dartmouth College was our first client. And then, you know, we we obviously, uh, I have a a study abroad history, so I knew a bunch of people in the field and we ended up picking up more clients. And within two or three years, we decided all those other products that we'd spent all that time with had to go away. So we became for a few years, a study abroad company, meaning that, you know, student, you know, so offices would mark, you know, would be, we'd be their website. They'd market all their programs. Students would, you know, log in, fill out everything online. They'd sign all their signature documents. And this is early days of signature documents, but, you know, because we were integrated with the university systems, we could verify identity. So it was legal. Uh, It solved a lot of legal problems for universities because they would, forget to get uh, waivers from students and then mm-hmm. there would be an accident and mm-hmm. there were lawsuits available. So we became a compliance tool. Um, 
So that's one part of what we do. But I will say in the in all the years that we've been doing it, you know, we went from having a handful of institutions to now it's over 75% of students who leave the United States on credit bearing study abroad are in Teradata software. Um, so that's a, a really good market share. And we're used, we have clients in a number of other countries as well. But then as we kept going, uh, we realized that there was more needed for the institutions. They, they really had to, because of that compliance piece, they really needed to be able to uh, man, handle risk management, risk mitigation. Uh, so, you know, if a bomb goes off in Paris, for example, universities could not find who was in Paris. They'd go to seven different offices who are sending faculty or students abroad and say, who do you have? And they'd go, we don't know. We'll try to find out. We'll go through the paper files. So then we grew in risk management uh, and we were tracking everybody. And of course, this is a long answer. Is this okay? This is great. Okay. And we're, then uh, we're still with you. Go ahead. Okay. Right. <laughs> if you start zoning out, I'll, no. I'll tell you no. Uh, and then when bad things happened, you know, uh, the unrest in Egypt and and the meltdown in in the nuclear facility in Japan, you know, our business went through the roof because the universities that had our software were able to find out who was there and contact them within 15 minutes. Right. Where. You know, there was on the front page of some newspapers two weeks later and universities are having mm -hmm. to say, we don't know who's there. We, you know, so risk management became big for us and uh, that continues to grow. We have a fantastic uh, mobile app now that uh, allows people to, you know, to check in, to, to get real time alerts. You know, if there's a shooting, you know, you don't necessarily know that unless it pops up on your things saying, hey. There's a shooting three blocks away from you. So lots of different features in that regard. And then the final big product that, um, you know, I was a major part of while still CEO was the, uh, were incoming international students. Incoming international students, by and large, are the best moneymaker for every university in the country. They are paying full freight, mm -hmm. which virtually nobody does mm -hmm. uh, except these international students. So they're very important to institutions. Um, and it's a pain to manage that because you need to get data from the students and you've got to share that data with the Department of Homeland Security. You know, you might get uh, notices back that you got to go back to the student and say we have a problem with this piece of data or it's not matching. So we automated all that in the same way. So our software people apply, uh, the data is automatically sent over to the Department of Homeland Security. It's looked at, it comes back automatically. So it speeds everything up. And again, compliance. You know, you know that everyone is keeping in board on board. <clears throat> so I will just finish this by saying we were a software company when it was study abroad. We had a point solution for one office at the institution. Mm -hmm. Now we are an enterprise solution because we go into the institution and we might be talking, we might be handling issues for 20 offices and all of the, it's all interconnected. It, it needs a lot of data sharing. Uh, uh, yeah, I think that, that, I think that that's a quick overview. So, so, you so, like I say, so if the student is, say from Dartmouth or from Chapel Hill or from wherever, are they, and, and I'm going on a study abroad program, are they interacting with Teradata or are they interacting with their college's website or how does that work? So 
our software is the website for the study abroad office or that business unit. And you can't tell it's Teradata. Right. Uh, so it just looks like, you know, we skin it to look, ju- we, we make the website look just like the rest of the university. But, but behind the scenes, it's you. It's us. You know, we're the, we're the engine that's making everything happen. Okay. Right. <clears throat> Do you work with NC State? NC State was one of our earliest clients, too. So, and, so and my daughter probably worked through you. She probably did. Yeah. <laughs> and she got back safely. She did it twice. Okay, yes. there you go. Well, See, we uh, like recidivist uh, yeah. travelers. It We're went scared. so well the first time, she went again. That's wonderful. So you know, when, when Gary and I talk to people who have started businesses you know, and or talk to people about starting a business, one of the things that we always talk about is that, that it seems like the most successful businesses are those that are solving problems and that, that the founder might have identified either a, a problem or sort of some sort of gap out there. You know, what? You know, how did you guys stumble across this? Was it was it through your travel? Was it just like saying, "Hey, there's a need here"? You know, is, is there you know is there a certain problem that you were trying to solve, or, or how would you characterize that? So, a lot of the consulting that we were doing at Chapel Hill for the university, we were just building different little software products for different business units, and it happened to be one of the earlier things that we built was. Um, for a publication, and we built a database, a billing, and it was so long ago, it's hard to remember, but we built a solution for the one of the publications on campus, and it made their business code quite a bit better. The guy who was in charge of that became the associate director of study abroad, and he brought us in and, um, you know, really asked for us to do this. I mean... So, like, I spent my senior year in high school in France, so I'm very familiar with study abroad. I took a group of North Carolina students from Elon and NC State and uh, Chapel Hill, you know, to Paris for six months uh, as a grad student. Uh, my business partner studied in Spain at undergrad, and uh, he did a, a year of research uh, in Spain during grad school. So we're, we love international. I mean, we're, we're very excited about mobility. We think it changes the world and everything else. But I got to be honest with you, it wasn't our idea to build study abroad software. Like, we, we, uh, we were filling gaps while at UNC with, you know, products like Blackboard, because as language, as language teachers, we wanted audio and video on the web and nobody really had that yet. So we actually worked and created that at the time. Of course, everyone's caught up now, but, Mm -hmm. (laughs) um, so no, I mean, in that regard, now the rest of them, the, 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 the risk management, the, you know, all the other things we do, contract management, um, agreements management that is that was from a phenomenal amount of research talking to universities finding out where their pain points are finding out what would change their lives materially um so 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 it sounds like your work has been very programming intensive you're not a programmer you're a sales guy you know how did you i don't know what your partner is i don't know if he is a programmer yes no maybe Technically, yes. He he was part of that AT and T program where they looked for musicians about twenty five six years ago, and because you know there's a link to music and um, analytical ability, so they would actually find people who are musicians and then teach them to become programmers. So he went through an AT and T programming uh, course and then was a programmer for I don't know how long eighteen months before he went to grad school for Spanish. So he, he is technically a programmer. But, yeah, the question's uh, very valid. I mean, so when it started, it was the two of us in the spare bedroom of the condo. 
um, you know, I had to program, you know, so I learned to program and we had a joke, uh, and my business partner, Garrett Christian, uh, you know, we would, we would say, because my, I was mostly French. He was mostly Spanish, but we had philology. Actually he was philology and I had a philology minor, which philology, love of Latin languages. So I joke that I, I, (laughs) <laughs> I only studied like seven languages in grad school, but I think he did 13. Um, okay. Uh, I'm a little intimidated. Right and now. computer programming is just, they're just languages. You know, you just learn a syntax mm-hmm. and it makes sense. And if you've done languages, it makes it easier. I hated it. So, it's, you know, I was really happy when we, when we were able to hire programmers but I mean, we were full life cycle, everything. I mean, we marketed ourselves, we did all of our own video production. We did, we we did the graphics. We did our first websites. Um, uh, we sold the software. I was the sole salesperson for years um, until we got a very large sales team. But um, we supported it, so it was all in-house support mm-hmm. um, and uh, you know everything. So it, it was a full life cycle of of. of of the industry, we didn't outsource anything. So, I mean, that's you know, pretty impressive, and mm-hmm. that uh, you know, considering the solution that you came up with. But over time, you built a pretty, mm-hmm. say, large organization. How many how many people are in your business now, or in Teradata? Um, there's, you know, globally, and it depends if how we count um, all the different people who work for us full time, but are not payroll you know they're they're consultants or contracted but you know probably in the 100 person range yeah so you i mean you've had to build an organization and structure as the company has grown to support the business you know and you had any that that can be a challenge as well finding the right people and keeping the right people i mean any any um wisdom you can share with us in terms of putting your team together and finding and keeping the right people yeah, uh, I would say what we did, what I what we did early on was we would find people in the field were so excited about Teradata that we would people wanted to come work for us, you know, and, which isn't unusual. But they, you know, they love the software, they love what we did, you know. They, you know, as one person told me, you know, I can make a difference at one university, or if I come to work for you, I can make a difference at hundreds of universities, mm-hmm. you know. So very much we have we had and have a lot of zealots who work for us, people who love the field and and mm-hmm. they feel that this is, you know, as much a job as a mission. So uh, very passionate about what you're very doing. Very passionate uh, and. You know, it, it's not always easy to be in a field where you can find people that are passionate about Absolutely. what they do. But so we were very lucky in that regard. Uh, the other thing that we did was uh, we brought in uh, a guy who's actually my uncle. Um, in 2008, there's a bit of an ec- uh, economic issue going on there. And we we're like, oh, this is these are tough days. We heard about that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But we brought him in uh, as a partner and he quit his job. He was some sort of director of IT at Land Lakes, you know, so he came in and he had that corporate experience mm-hmm. and we joked back then because it wouldn't work now that we had somebody with gray hair, but uh, it was very helpful because he had, he had done everything, all the HR, all the, you know, all, all the buildings. So having that advisor was very critical to us. Um, but yeah, I mean, we, so, and then I'd say the third thing is, um, well, I guess that's two different pieces, but, you know, getting, getting good people, making sure you're treating people right. 
which I see a lot of companies don't do, you mm-hmm. know, but if you've got a great employee, if you've got a rock star, you need to do whatever you can to keep that rock star happy and engaged. You need to give that person an opportunity to change what they do so they don't feel like they're, uh, you know, stuck in one it's position because they're so good at it. You can put anyone yeah. else there. Well, if you're, if they're good at it, they can replace themselves and, and take a different role and grow. Um, so I think I'm kind of losing my where I'm going with the answer to the question. Yeah. Did I answer the question? Yeah, I did. Okay. Well, all the things you did as the business grew. I, mean, yeah. I think that's yeah. critical because yeah. yeah, it's okay it. at one level, but it may not be and, at another level. And you've got to you be agile. Right you've got to exactly. change. Um, you know, very much early on, you know, we had cheerleader, cheerleader clients mm-hmm. who would just were so excited. And there'd be a mistake in the software. Uh, and this is a long time ago, but there'd be a problem and they would be like, it's okay. And just when you get around to it, it'd be really nice if it was soon. And it's not like that now. If there's a problem, you know, you're, you get need it now calls and it needs to be, I mean, it's a business, it's a bit business critical. Yeah. Uh, so, and we, we obviously had to make those adjustments over time, which was important to do. And then the other things, as far as being agile, you know, we, we had, uh, an advisory board for a very long time where we brought in, you know, people in the field and a couple of people out of the field. And that was really helpful to talk through a lot of our ideas and what we wanted to do. And they would come in and tell us what we're doing wrong. So that was great. Um, well, and I, I always, I like to come back to the advisory board concept and that a lot of privately held companies, you know, smaller companies we work with don't always see the benefit of having an advisory board and, and really don't know how to put that together. But just having the opportunity to bounce around ideas with other people with different perspectives can be be very, very valuable to you. Yeah, I, I assume that's the way you looked at it. Very much so. And I think, I think advisory boards are critical and they should be done at an earlier stage for many companies you know uh especially when you're in the trenches right in the beginning and you've got no you've got no top level view of what's going on you know you're handling crisis after crisis i mean my job back then is i have a a great job i get to choose any out any 80 hours in a week i want to work that's right but i can do them whenever i want um and if a problem from australia comes in at two in the morning then i'm up at two in the morning fixing that so uh getting an advisory board is very important um and it gives you just some perspective that you're not able to get uh but they and of course board of directors which which is a different group of people even more so um they can they can really you know especially if you bring in the right people on the board who've who've grown similar types of companies uh then you know you you really get a you really get a better view of what you're doing and, you know, questions where you say, no, we couldn't possibly do that. Uh, then all of a sudden you're like, yeah, we could do that. I just, I, I've said no to that a lot, but we should have been doing that all along. So this podcast is sponsored by Jackson creative, a custom communication agency located in downtown Hickory, North Carolina, specializing in online content creation to learn more, visit the Jackson Jackson creative. We tell your story. Well, yeah. advisory boards are important to our school, too, yeah. aren't they? No, we have one for every program. That's yeah. kidding, because he's got one coming up next week. And sometimes our program directors, not this one, of course, Jeff Newell, because he's a superstar. Right. But they look at it as checking a box. Mm-hmm. I have to take two advisory committee meetings a year, and I'm going to go through the motion. And we're really trying to get all of our people to realize how important it is. It does sound kind of corny, but you do need an outside person to look at it. I think that sometimes with business owners, when you get your business, 
you don't necessarily want somebody to tell you that, hey, you need to do this or do that. Same thing happens with our academic programs, too. So uh, we're pushing it hard. Well, I, th I think the successful businesses are, are open-minded enough to recognize that they don't know everything and, and are open to those ideas. Now that well, I think that's key, that we yeah. don't know everything. Uh, and, I, I mean, I don't think it's corny at all. I mean, uh, especially if you don't have if you don't have any investment in the company and you're just and you're bootstrapping it and it's all on you, if you're the CEO, I think you need to treat an advisory board like it's a board of directors, like yeah, there's a I financial agree with and they need to prepare for that because that is the mm, one yes. or two or three times a year that they are accountable yep. to somebody. Exactly. And they should treat it like accountability. Yep. And the people giving the input don't have a vested interest. So they're, they're telling you the truth. Right. how they perceive it to be. And if you're a small company you don't have a big budget for that, at least get them a nice lunch or something and, and, uh, and be prepared. And, and, and you know, Jason's. Well, whatever. But, uh, you know, Outback, Outback is oh, yeah. nice. Anyway. Outback was even better. Yeah. Um, I, I know, you know, you know, particularly for a software company, and I don't, and which is what you started as, and before you grew into a larger company, funding becomes such an issue. And that uh, you know, I've, I've seen people that have great ideas for a software product, but it's hard to fund it until you can show some sort of progress, so show some sort of traction in in the marketplace. So. Tell us a little bit about your experience in securing funding uh, for your business and, and give us any advice for folks that might be listening that have an idea for a, a software product. And, you know, that's great, but I need some money. I, I might not be a, I'm, you know, I might not be a programmer. And I might need a contractor to help me with programs. So how do you, how do you think about that and how did you work through that? So the way we worked through it was, <clears throat> you know, we were just self-funded. Like I said, we started out of the spare bedroom in the condo that my wife and I lived in. And uh, we were there for about 14 months until, uh, and we were, I mean, we were, we were lucky. I mean, we, we had a pretty good, uh, pretty good path here. But, uh, you know, we initially were con in consulting because, you know, you need money. You, if you just mm -hmm. want to build a software product, you can't do that overnight. Now, I will caveat that by saying you kind of can build it overnight now because of all the offshore and, and outsourcing that you can do. So if you have an idea, uh, and there's problems with that too, you have an idea and you ask someone to build it, what you get back is not going to be what you asked for. So you need to have that management experience and that level of detail where you know you are understand that whatever you order or request or whatever commission is going to be problematic at first and it's going to have to be iterated multiple times to get it in a, a position you need it. But back then that really wasn't a, a possibility. So we needed to go out and get consulting jobs. So I think I got four or five consulting jobs. Um, and then the first product, I'm like, this is horrible. I'm spending 90% of my time selling and we're not getting anything else done. Um, I'm not getting anything else done. Garrett was working very hard building the things. Mm -hmm. So we decided immediately we wanted to be a software company, and we built that competitor to Blackboard, and we sold it to a dozen universities. Um, and that, that kept us going um, for a while. And then, of course, the study abroad thing hit. So, And we continued to be self-funded for quite a while. Um, but then at, one, at the point when we really wanted to get going with, you know, the the incoming side, uh, the incoming students, faculty and staff, uh, 
we decided we wanted to take an investment. But, you know, we were 10 years in at that point. Uh, a track record. We had a track some, record, yeah. you know. So, you know, I, I, so I kind of all over the board there. But, I mean, it's really hard to, unless you have funding, unless you find someone who wants to fund you, if you just want to start a software company, if it's a small app, that you can do that. If you want to create kind of what we did, I mean, even with a, a, a team of programmers, it would take, you know, you'd need a couple of years of funding. So, so, so it was sort of like you didn't quit your day job. You were doing consulting to bring in some income while, while this was going on, you know, and, you know, don't don't know. I don't think I've met your wife. You know, maybe uh, maybe she was supporting you at that point. In time. And I'm glad you brought that up. Yeah, both of our wives. Um, you know, my wife was. Let's, yeah, I mean, she was a grad student at first, but then she was an associate or a visiting professor at Sweetbriar College for a couple of years. And Garrett's wife uh, was working at Quintiles. Uh, but yeah, they supported us. Yeah. Uh, so pro tip, you know, marry the right woman or, or the right person. Yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, get the right spouse to help support you uh, during your startup. Yeah, and then there's always those early issues of, well, you know, usually once you have a location and and staff, you know, cash flow becomes such a horrible mm-hmm. pain. You're like, oh my gosh, you know, I there's payroll on Friday, and we this check was supposed to come in two weeks ago, mm-hmm. and it's not in. So then, you know, we had to borrow money from friend or from family a couple of times. Got it right back to them, but um, but those are the key things that people don't think about when you're looking at the outside. That, like I say, made a sale, but it's not a sale until we get the check, we get the money in the bank. We talk about that all the time. Well, I guess when you're working with the institutions. Uh, Speaking from the one that Gary and I work with, sometimes things don't get paid as quickly as, as you'd like. And if you're the if you're the vendor out there waiting for that check to, to come in because you've got to pay people or pay your vendors, you have to sweat a little bit. Yeah, I mean, we had people that would be a year late. Universities Ouch. would be a year late, and it's like we're a small company. We could uh, we could we could use that. Cash flow is critical. Go ahead. A question came up when you were talking. What about protecting your ideas? You're doing that in software. I mean, as you're starting a business, and your idea is your value, uh, and you're using consultants and different things when you talk about overseas, because I did a lot of business overseas before I came to the college, and that was one of, one of the big things we always had to worry about, protecting our technology. And Yeah, and uh, that's a good question, a question we dealt with over all the years, but... You know, essentially, technology can be copied. Mm -hmm. I mean, even if you just show somebody, you know, how the app works and not give them the code, they can reverse engineer that very quickly. That's what I was thinking. Uh, So, you know, it it was more the fact that we were so deep into the business needs of our clients where, you know, we would, I would talk to them initially, me, but then many other people would talk to them multiple times a year at conferences or whatever and really sit down and be able to understand what they needed. And, you know, it's, it's a very complicated process of, you know, you know, you've got 2000 students studying abroad and the way that it used to be, there could have been 300 different types of applications Mm -hmm. that you had to manage because, you know, some, some uh, applications have a foreign language requirement. Some have a homestay requirement. Some have, you know, you know, prerequisites and all these things. So building something that is, uh, you know, seamless and easy to, to look at takes a lot of the business knowledge. You can throw a form up to, apl- to apply for something or to attract people very easily, but it's the, uh, how they all work together. That, so so not, I, we weren't that worried about, you know, people trying to 
steal customizing gun. solutions? We did Well, uh, actually, no, we wouldn't customize. Okay. You know, we would tell people if you, you know, customizations are very expensive yeah, for the client and for the software company. Right. And then if you customize for somebody, you need to update that every time you have a release. Mm -hmm. So we'd say no, but here's what we'll do. We came up with a form where they could put in the ideas they want, just like Salesforce and other companies do. And then uh, they would, other people would vote on them and we'd say, oh, this is a very important thing. Then we do a focus group on it or meet at a conference and discuss it with several people. <laughs> and then we would make it part of the core code so everybody could use it. Um, so that's kind of how we handled that. Yeah. So, so you started Teradata 20 years ago. Uh, and, and you've sort of gone through a transition from, I guess, uh, the everyday operation of the company to now when you're, now you're operating a golf course and the owner of a golf course and you're the, the chairman of, of Teradata. I mean, is that sort of your baby? How has that transition gone for you? Has it been, been good? Have you, are you missing anything or, you know, is the owning a golf course, uh, fulfill, uh, that whatever hole might've been left there? Uh, it's gone well. I mean, so I brought, we, we had investors come in, um, in a number of years ago and I was very worried about working with, uh, with an investment company because I'd heard all the horror stories that we've all heard. And I was very clear with them that I did not want to live through a horror story. Um, and I was actually talking, so I'd talk, I'd spoken to, well, I still get probably 50 people a week trying to buy Teradata, they're calling me, they're emailing me, but you know, a few years ago it was you know a couple hundred. Uh, well, now a few hundred a month would, would desperately try to get in, you know, because it was a growing company, everyone wanted to buy it. And uh, so I had spoken to a few investment companies, and they all wanted controlling interest, which I wasn't interested in. The company that we uh, ended up going with uh, have been fantastic partners, and they um, came as a minority partner and. You know, got a lot of trust over 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 years. So no, when I, when I was retiring, I, I felt very good about it. Uh, we worked together to hire the, the new CEO, and he's doing a fantastic job. Uh, you know, and, and is it hard? I mean, it's it's a little hard to change, but with growth, uh, you know, the guy we brought in is is great, and he has taken a company from the level we're at to. 10 times that size. So I, I've got, I've got no issue with that. And I enjoy going back to the board meetings. I've got one in a couple of weeks and um, it's, it's, it's great to see. That's good. I mean, it, I mean, it can be a challenging transition as someone who grew up in a family mm -hmm. business and, and watched a uh, private investment come in, in and, and sort of mangle it beyond recognition. Um, it doesn't always work out well. So I'm glad it's working for you. And I know I've got a lot of friends who were, th who went through that. Um, but no, that's 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 not the the case. And I'm, I love the golf course. Um, it's been it's been a fun challenge, you know, to go from, you know, things I'd never had to think about before. I you know, physical locations were just offices. You know, there's no warehouse. There's no ordering things. You know, so now it's a restaurant, bar, eighteen hole golf course, uh, live event venue. It's 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 a challenge. It's fun. Oh, good. But yeah. I got a good team there too, so we're we're on the way. That's the key. Keep talking about it's people. Yeah. Oh, that's the number one thing. I mean, anybody who thinks, you know, they've got an outsized ego and they think that they can be the end all of everything, that's that's a problem. You yeah. need to find the right mm -hmm. people and you need to find a way to keep those people there and happy. Yeah, absolutely.
You got any any other parting thoughts for our listeners who might be thinking about starting or, or growing their business? Tell you a funny story if I could. So, you know, we went to a large um, international education conference every year. It was our biggest event of the year every year. Um, it was about 10,000-person conference. People from all over the world would come. And one of the biggest ways to network were parties, you know, and we tried to throw a party one year and we had like a dozen people show up like pitying us because, you know, but the reason is because every night there were like a dozen to 20 parties and, you know, we were competing with like France was throwing a party that night or Canada and they have these giant venues. So we're like, oh, we can't do that. We can't do that. And it costs too much. The next year we actually did a dinner. We're like, that worked really well, but we'll go out of business if we do that. So the following year I did uh, one of the most amusing and fun things that we've ever done, which was, I said, we're going to have a karaoke event at this conference. And every, my whole staff is like, that's insane. It's a horrible idea. I go, well, we're going to try it because then we only have to provide some appetizers. And, you know, so that first, that first night uh, that we did it, well, you know, there was probably 70 people there, but they had the best time and it was the talk of the conference all mm-hmm. week. Next year, uh, it got a little bit bigger, a little bit bigger. By the end, um, you know, we were, for the last several years, we were renting out House of Blues or Hard Rock Cafe uh, and having uh, 700 people. It was the, you know, the big the list big everyone wanted to be on. Uh, and I really just picked it because it was affordable in the beginning. You know, I, all I had to do was, you know, rent a, a, a small room at a restaurant or bar and, you know, paid 150 bucks for a karaoke person and we could afford it. Now, when you rent out House of Blues, it ends up costing quite a bit more uh, and feeding 700 people, six, 700 people. But it was just, a, you know, finding that niche. And we became known as, you know, the karaoke, the, the karaoke yeah. guys. So it was it, one of those things that just worked out really well by you know, following things that you like, you know, we like to, we like to sing. So we thought it'd be fun to do and worked out well. Affordable and fun. Yeah. Well, then it got a little bit more expensive as it got more popular. Well, you're going to have to buy me some beers before you get me to sing, uh, Brandon. (laughs) I can do that. My wife told me I'm not allowed to sing in public or dance. We're going to, we're going to have karaoke nights at Players Ridge. So you guys can come on out and sing. There we go. Well, we really appreciate you joining us today. You know, you, you, you're up for our lightning round. We're going to ask you some fun questions. See, I am very much up for it, but I'm one of those people where my kids will say, what's your favorite movie? And I'm like, okay, it's going to take about 45 minutes because i got to go through a lot of caveats. But this time I will just answer. Okay, I'm going to take that one off my list. Oh, but, no, it's uh, fine. I, <laughs> but our lightning round this, uh, this month is sponsored by Ned Ryerson Insurance, Whole Life, Auto Flood Home. You can't have enough insurance. Am I right? Or am I right? Absolutely. Stay safe with Ned Ryerson Insurance. Check it out on the internet. So we're going to ask you some quick questions, quick answers. Don't agonize too much. Okay, I won't. What is your biggest pet peeve? Uh, people being late. My, I always said if you're five minutes, if you're five minutes earlier, you're only ten minutes late. There you go. The Tom Coughlin School of uh, Management. There. Okay. Uh, favorite vacation spot? Paris. Beatles or Rolling Stones? Beatles. Favorite Halloween candy? Um, the Reese's, like, uh, uh, Reese's pumpkins. Oh, Reese's pumpkins. Oh, yeah. yeah, they All need right. more peanut butter to chocolate yeah, ratio. I, I'm Reese's guy myself. I'm more like the cup. Yeah, I like them, too. Uh, do you have a TV or movie streaming recommendation for people? 
I, I just watched Inside Job on uh, Netflix, and it's hilarious, but it's definitely TV uh, MA, but it's really good. It's okay. A, Inside Job. Inside Job. I'm writing that down. I can, <laughs> I can handle a little MA. Uh, Jack Nicholas, Phil Mickelson, or Tiger Woods? Uh, yeah, I'm going to go Tiger. I mean, he changed, the, he changed the whole world of golf in a way that others haven't. Can't go wrong with any of those. Though. I know. They're very good what options. What about Arnold Palmer? Not on my list. I know. <laughs> Very good drink, though. Says the Wake Forest. That's, there you go. That's says a, the Wake Forest says guy. Says the Wake right. Forest guy. That's exactly uh, right. Finally, last question. If you could have one superpower, what would it be? Flight. Flight. A good one. We'd like to fly. Yes. I think that's a good one. I'd be with you on that one. All right, Brandon, we really appreciate you joining us today. If people are looking for Teradata or your golf course player's bridge, where should they be looking? Where can we find you? Teradata.com, T-E-R-R-A-D-O-T-T-A. It's a Latin joke, meaning learned world. Um, and then Players Ridge is playersridge.golf. Playersridge.golf. And, and Players, technically, is I, I think that's Alexander County, or where do we live? It's Alexander County, but it's a Hickory address. Okay, so if you're in the western North Carolina area, want to get a good 18 in, Players Ridge Golf Course. Great Come layout. see You've been there? Oh, yeah. Okay. Son, right. One of my sons played... High school golf there, and I've been there several times. Okay, very good. I hear it's better now. I'm sure it is. All right, we always like to wind up with uh, some small businesses that people should be checking out, and and we we'll let our guests go first. Brandon, you have something that you'd like to uh, share with us—a small business that you want, in, in addition to Players Ridge and Teradyne. Sure, sure. So I'm I'm going to pick uh, the hub, which is. Andrew Moose's and his partner's new live music venue here in Hickory. The Hum. The the Hum. I'm sorry. The yeah, Hum. The it's hum. the Hum dot live is the is the address. Uh, but it's it's uh, right in downtown Hickory, and I think downtown Hickory is doing amazing. And I think them bringing uh, in live music all the time is only going to make us better. So the Hum, and I, I they actually had their opening weekend last weekend, and and have other exciting things planned out. So. So, Gary, we're either going to drag you I'm, down I'm going to, do to the hum and, and, and check it out. I will definitely do it. You know, when we get some real hard rock going. There we go. That'd be me. All right. Gary, what is your small business of the month? I'm just going to highlight briefly two businesses. That one that started in downtown Conover. Of course, you know, that's what I've been doing the last handful of months. It's just spotlighting new businesses starting during COVID, uh, which has been a lot. One is 1877 Pub and Grub. Have you all heard about it? Not yet. It's, Tell it's us. Good. I'm getting. I'm getting ready to go there. I mean, it looks like. Of course, you know, I'm allergic to alcohol, but I love food, so I'm going to check it out, and I'll let you know next month. And then another thing that I've gone by. Another thing, Holly and Ivy Inn in Newton. It was a actually a family that uh, one of this their kids went to school with Lawson, one of our sons. And so I, and it's a beautiful home. As you're coming out, well, coming in, depending on, beautiful, and they've set it up into a bed and breakfast. Okay. And it looks Very really nice. cool. And they try that out, too. And, and what's the name of it again? Holly and Ivy. Holly and Ivy. Okay. Well, we'll, we'll be checking those yeah, out. I'm looking forward to trying both of those. So I stumbled across uh, a company called Green Life Tech, which is a, a company that is created a is, is working on creating a new product called fresh defend which is a small countertop product that makes your fruits and vegetables last five times longer saving you money there you 
Yeah. So, and, and Gary, you know, from what I know about your diet, I'm not sure you have a lot of fruits and vegetables at your home. Well, the answer is my wife loves fruits and vegetables. Okay. So we do have a lot. So it, this is something that will work for the Mahler family, at least okay. half of it. Well, they've come up with uh, a technology that eliminates atmospheric oxygen, which can extend the consumable life of your produce up to five times. Oh. So, so if you've got like bananas that are going bad, mm -hmm. you know, you put them in this. It's like a little countertop thing that it's got a lid. You close it, and as opposed to your bananas going bad in a few yeah. days, they'll last for a couple of weeks. If you've got like your apples and oranges, they'll last up to two months. You know, so so you can save yourself some money. Yeah, you know, return on investment, yeah. and there's less food waste. You know, good for everybody. So anyway, it's a company called Green Life Tech, and uh, if you go to GreenLifeTech.com, you can learn more about them. So that's a small business that I'll say that you should be checking out. So anyway, appreciate Brandon you joining us today. Enjoyed the conversation and learned chance to learn more about Teradata and what you've gone through to get it where it is and your whole experience. Gary, always good to see you. Great to see you. And uh, listeners, if you've got a su suggestion for our Entrepreneur Exchange Small Business of the Month, you can email them to us at eexchange at themesh.tv. And if we use yours, we'll send you one of our fabulous Entrepreneur Exchange prize packs. Uh, we want to thank the, the mesh.tv for uh, hosting us today. And we encourage you to go and check out all the cool podcasts they're doing at themesh.tv. It's uh, Halloween here. Enjoy your candy. Stay safe. And we'll look forward to talking to you again next month. Take care. Thanks. been listening to The Mesh, an online media network of shows and programs ranging from business to arts, sports to entertainment, music to community. All programs are available on the website as well as through iTunes and YouTube. Check us out online at themesh.tv. Discover other network shows and give us feedback on what you just heard.